Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And you missed out. This morning when I plugged in my mic, you're getting me direct to computer now and no mic, which is disappointing because the mic is like kind of new and I, and I was really digging this mic I got. But I, I signed on and apparently I sounded like a chipmunk. I might take that and throw it up on social media at some point because I haven't heard it yet. But I hear that it was kind of entertaining. Um, but it just made me think of how things just go wrong right? Like we have this plan, plan to get on the podcast, plan to record. And then something that's completely out of my control. I don't know if it's the mic. I don't know if it's a wire. I don't know if it's a computer. doesn't work. I don't have, a, I, I do have backup wires, but they're plugged in to make the keyboard and everything else work. So there's not an extra one. And we just had to make an on the fly decision to go, Hey, like it's more important to create a podcast than have it all be perfect. So we ditched the mic talking at the computer. So hopefully if you're listening to this, it sounds pretty good on your end. And Adam, who does our technical, is able to make me sound as delightful as possible. Um, I want to dive in and get into it with our guest today because she has so much going on. I, I know she has so many stories. I've listened to a few of her podcasts. Um, She's got a couple books. Let me tell you a little bit about her and then you're going to get to meet her. So she's a best-selling author. She wrote a book called Confident as Fuck, which I love the title of. Uh, she also wrote a book called The Paleo Thyroid Solution. She wrote, a, she wrote an award-winning documentary called Headhunt Revisited. She has two podcasts, the, the Primal Blueprint podcast, the Kick-Ass Life podcast, and she's overcome some like really... Um, challenging personal struggles, disabilities in her life that have helped her become the person that she is. She's also a coach. She's a leader. She's a powerful voice in the world. El Russ, welcome to the Drew Mason podcast. How are you? Hey, what a great intro. Uh, I do think you should throw it up on social media because your audience listening right now, we were laughing our asses off over here. You <laughs> literally sound like direct from a chipmunk album. <laughs> and, then, and then you kind of improvised a bit. I think you should throw it up on social media because it's hilarious. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Thanks for your, yeah, and you got to see the whole thing. Uh, we, we were on a, I forget what we were doing. We were recording one day and we were having all these glitches with some, we had like a, a it wasn't this podcast. It was another podcast I'm, I'm doing with somebody else. And it was, it's very like spiritual energy, very like kind of enlightened conversation. We kept having these mess ups in tech. And then we were like, man, what if we had a show where we just purposely messed up and see how people react? Like, do you know, do we get Deepak Chopra on and like the mic doesn't work? Does he like lose it and flip out or does he stay like as Deepak Chopra? Um, 
I was pretty proud of myself. I stayed, I wasn't- Doing some tolerance testing with some guests, see if they're actually like putting their money where their mouth is on yeah. their preaching. <laughs> you get a Zen master on here and he has a fucking meltdown. <laughs> it's funny, like, I mean, I know we're all human, right? So we all have these things and I feel like technology is one of those things that just like triggers people. Oh, try, try to help a 65, 70 year old with, uh, with any kind of technical thing after, after you've been like, okay, go to settings. They're like, I can't just, I can't handle it. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Like they just yeah. can't even get past like the first bit of it. But yeah. Do we have the same parents? Are we like, <laughs> Likely. Yeah. Um, tell me, so you have, so well, the first thing I want to ask you, because I actually haven't asked anybody this. And when I was looking at all you're up to and all that you do and all that you've done, it reminded me of some of what I have going on, which is like so many projects at one time. And a lot of people look at when I, when they see all my projects, they're like, that's gotta be like so disempowering. And I'm like, no, I like, <laughs> it really like lights me up. I get excited in the morning because I have all these things I want to be, like I've chosen them all. How is it for you like to have all these balls that you're, you know, juggling at one time? I think sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming when you are the entrepreneur in it and you've, you're like, where do I put the time and energy or God, I want to do 10 things. What do I do first? Cause you know, I've got like a hundred book ideas, but then which one goes next? What do you do first? So I think it's a great problem to have. Listen, that's a better problem than the people who are like, I just don't know what my calling is or my purpose. And so, you know, I, I feel, and I'm sure you do too, bless that there is no shortage of things we want to do in this life. We may not get to all of them, but what what a great gift versus being like, I'm just working this job. I don't, you know, and, that, and that's a part of, of course, my mission is helping people find their purpose and all of that. But yeah, I mean, it's a great problem to have, but it comes with some moments of overwhelm. It comes with a lot of discipline and um, yeah, you know, sometimes I just think I wish I could clone myself so I can do all of these things simultaneously. How do you decide, you know, when I, I have the same exact thing where I'm like, oh, I have these titles for books or these ideas. And then my used to just jump around and then nothing would get done. How do you decide this is what I'm going to work on? Like, how do you pick the projects your, whether it be books or other things and not just get pulled to every new shiny object that shows up? It's what I am most compelled to do. So for example, uh, something I'm going to be doing so my, I published my first book, Paleothyroid Solution, in 2016. I had always had an idea of sort of doing a, a course, an online course. You know, instead of coaching with me one-on-one, -on -one, you get the course, da-da-da, -da, plus the book or whatever. Now, I haven't done it yet. A lot of people would look at that and go, that's procrastination. I thought, you, where's your course? Okay, but when you're, and you maybe know this to some of the energy and manifesting it in general, there's a difference between procrastinating. Usually if you're like beating yourself up about it, you're like, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. It's usually kind of when you should. But there's then this other area of like, I'm going to do it, but I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not super compelled. So I'm just going to let that sit. And I'm glad I did because now actually is even more of a perfect time to do it versus years ago for a variety of reasons that I could not have foreseen that I didn't know. And so even just the other day, I was like, ah, isn't that great how that works out? And that was not procrastination in that case. But, but again, people were like, you should have done this years ago. You should have Ah, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I, I was like, no, I want to do the second book. That took up time where I didn't do my course. And I'm glad I did that. And now I'm coming back to the course. So again, is it procrastination or is it just, hey, I'm not really compelled right now. And until I'm really compelled and it feels right, that's when you do it. So I usually get drawn to, again, whatever, whatever is really feeling like I'm, you know, some people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, um, 
I feel like, I, you know, I want to be a writer. A lot of people want to be a writer. Actually, if you look up the stats, I think it's literally like 80% of Americans want to be a writer. And I get it because they think of it as this lifestyle of like, oh, that's so cool. I can travel and make my own schedule and write, but they're not actually compelled to write anything. They don't have anything to say that it does. It's just this idea. So in that case, no, that person shouldn't be a writer. When you know you are is when you're compelled to. You're just mm-hmm. like, I've, I've got to do this, damn it. I don't know how or whatever, but I've got to do it. And, you know, that is inspired action, which is really different than forcing a thing for a means to an end. That's so, you're, you're totally speaking. I, for, I don't know, 20 years have wanted to like write and publish or, you know, whether it be a movie. And uh, last year I published my first book. But what I noticed is like that book was written. It didn't, I didn't care who bought it. Like I wrote it, I literally wrote my book for me. Which is and great. I think- yeah, I mean, you know, you probably know this, like most people through your, your journey, it's like most, I think the average writer sells like a hundred books in their lifetime. So if you publish a book, it's like a hundred, 150 books are sold in the lifetime of the author, right? They're not making any money. Maybe they made like a hundred bucks, like whatever it is. Most books don't make any money. And I think people think you were talking about that glamorous life, right? Oh, I get to do this. It's, I don't know what that glamorous life is unless you're writing Harry Potter for most people, you're still working, you're still doing stuff, you're not just sitting back collecting your checks. Um, but I noticed what you said is like, I'm working on book two, and the, 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 I love to write, but the compelledness to write it is kind of gone because I did the thing I really wanted to do, which was write a book. And so now, the, the question I wanna ask you is, because I, now I fall into like a, well, I know I really wanna write more books, but that initial like, passion project why did it like I I accomplished that feat and now I'm trying to motivate myself or generate from within that desire again so I can keep going how do you how do you tell the difference between when you describe like I'm not feeling it because sometimes I'm not feeling working out and I got to do it anyway right or I'm not feeling eating healthy and I got to do it anyway. I can't always listen to my body but sometimes I do how do you kind of differentiate those things yeah, so I'm big on that too. So, and I tell people all the time because they'll be like, oh, you must be so motivated with working out and health. Like, I wish I had your motivation. I'm like, I'm arguing with myself every fucking day. Don't even. Every don't day. Even. So does Gabrielle Reese. When I interviewed her, and it just kind of gave me license because she was like, uh, I argue, I struggle every day with working. I mean, and you know, she's a badass athlete. Yeah. So the, the difference is, is that I usually end up doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what feels better in that scenario the after effects of the exercise or the fact that I didn't want to and I argued with myself, and I did it anyway. And believe me, this happened the other day. I am a swimmer. I live in California. It's sunny out. It doesn't get, but it was like 45 degrees that morning. And I was thinking about hours later, even if it got up to 65, 70, and I know people in winter places are like, F you. But I was, the idea in that morning when it was 45 of getting into a bikini, into a pool, I was like, no, oh my God, no. And I called friends and I'm trying to piggyback off their motivation. I'm like, hey, you want to go hiking? And no one was available. I'm like, shit, I'm stuck with this swim appointment (laughs) and arguing all the way. 10 minute drive to the pool, realized my heater was on, had to go turn it off, even tried to use that as an excuse for a minute. Like, I see, F it, I'm just going to go back, forget it. And I was like, no, no, went all the way there, argued with myself up to the pool's edge and swore into my snorkel and my mask for the first four lengths. Did it anyway, felt amazing. But the after effects of me overcoming the, all, the, this, the, all that stuff that went on, I just don't know which feels better. They're both great. They both increase confidence. They're both amazing for you. Um, so sometimes you do something that you don't want to do. I think the difference is, is the, the spawn of it. So like when you're really compelled to write a book, you're like ready to start it, you know? And once you're in it, 
then it's a dedication to like, okay, but usually once you're in it, if you're compelled, it just keeps going because you're excited. You almost can't wait to go to bed to wake up the next morning to, to do the thing. And when you don't, you don't. Now, sometimes people will be like, hey, you want to write an article or something like that? And I'm kind of like, mm, but I also know it's quick. It's probably 1200 words. I'll just knock it out. You know, and, and so not everything is fun and awesome. I don't like to sit there and post stuff on Instagram and load things and do some stuff that's kind of like- I don't like to do that. That's not your- Yeah, right. Like a little techie stuff. I mean, you know, I have some people that do it for me, but you know, there's certain things you have to do yourself that again, you're not loving it, but you, you know, you have to, just like you would brush your teeth if you didn't feel like it. Um, and so again, I think it's though, when you're in the midst of a project, if you've already started it, (laughs) you're usually like juiced up for it, you know? So I don't, and then again, sometimes it's literally like a matter of like, I have to start because in the starting of it, you start to get motivated. And sometimes if you're not compelled in a passionate way, you got to be like, I have to just start this thing. And maybe starting the thing halfway through, I'm going to cancel it and go to something else. That's fine. But at least I started this damn thing. At least I tried. I took an attempt. And so sometimes it is a forced attempt. Um, And the after effects are good. Sometimes it's a forced attempt and you're like, yeah, I'm not, damn, I'm not into this. I'm not really into this right now. Um, and then it's a matter of like, oh my gosh, well, are you in a deadline? You know, I'm on my own deadlines so I can, I can do that. But when I get going, I stick to it. Um, in terms of, I knock it out. I'm a fan of when you're doing a project, whether it's like an article, a sitcom or book, it doesn't matter what you're writing or working on. I am a huge fan of like, sectioned off focused intention on it. I believe that when, you know, so, so I'm not a fan of write an hour a day and in three months you'll have a book. I'm like, Oh, I feel like that's the most inefficient, worst way to write a book. And I know some people with nine to five jobs, that's my, might all they have, but you might've experienced this too. when you wrote yours, once you're in it and you're in it, it's like a whole, takes on a whole life. It sounds super cliche. It's got its own world. You go through avenues and discover things that I don't think you can when you're just breaking it up into an hour a day. So I am a fan of like, if I'm going to do it, let's jump in there, turn off the phone, spend five, you know what I mean? Like, let's put a solid initial time. So I think if you have to force yourself to start something, lock out two, three hours and be like, I'm going to dive into this. Yeah. I find that when I'm like working on a really intense project, I'm with you. Like I want to like really get in. It's like, let me jump all the way in the pool. Not just like run my toes in the water. Yep. And when I'm not like, I try to write 30 minutes a day because I don't like, if I don't have a specific project just to like exercise the muscle. And sometimes that's, I write really long social media posts. It's a way it's like, I use, I use it as a journal, right? Like I, it's a way to exercise it out. It doesn't matter. What do you notice because you just talked a lot about you and what works for you. What do you notice makes the biggest difference for clients that are the, the type specifically, the, the type of clients I'm always thinking of that I feel like are often challenging. They're up to a lot of cool stuff. They're successful. You're, you're you know, working with people like this. And yet there's the things they want to do that they keep not doing. And they like, maybe they show up week after week and it's like, oh, I didn't do that thing. And you know, they really want to do it. And they know, but there's something in the way. What do you... Is there something that you've found that like really helps them kind of bust through that brick wall? Yeah. Well, and it really depends on what I'm coaching them on. So if I'm coaching them on a writing thing, for example, versus a thyroid or health thing versus just life coaching, getting more confidence yourself, same thing I think that the answers would all be different, um, that I would give that person. Um, but, but as a, as a general overall, I think we have to, so sometimes procrastination and perfectionism go hand in hand. They're kind of sides of each other. So people will wait till everything is perfect 
as a way of distracting themselves to, it's kind of procrastination. Well, until everything's perfect, I can't. And you're like, that's never going to happen when you're an entrepreneur and it's never going to happen usually in almost anything you're, you're doing. So perfectionism can be a problem. Procrastination too, it, both of these things can be self-sabotage. So again, it goes back to, and what's self-sabotage? I mean, let's look at self-worth, self-esteem. It's, it's the self-talk. It's the like, well, I'm not going to start that because I'm going to fail at it anyway. Or I'm not going to start that because I'm afraid of success. So fear of success or fear of failure, both procrastination, perfectionism, this is all in the same bucket. So I think I would unpack that because you never know. For example, I told a story once actually about my mother who, um, you know, and I suggest this to everyone. You don't know your parents. Go ask them some questions. You don't know about their life. <laughs> so, and you find out really interesting answers. And I asked my mother one time, I'm like, hey, I know you got a psychology degree, but like, did you want to be a therapist? And she said, no, you know, I actually really wanted to be a singer. And I'm like, well, why didn't you do it? She was too embarrassed that if she became known and famous, that she was ashamed and embarrassed that maybe like they'd find out where she kind of came from, which wasn't maybe like this upper, like a little bit other side of the tracks. She also had a crappy stepfather who was like a drunk and while he never like hurt her or anything, it was just the source of shame. And so my gosh, she didn't follow a dream. And I almost cried. I was like, oh, I'm learning this like late in life, you know, my mother, you have no idea. So she didn't pursue something. It was an excuse. That story, that shame, the fear of what other people were going to think of her prevented her from even taking one step into that arena. And I know my mom loves singing. Something comes on opera or whatever, and she's, you know, belting it out. So I think like it's about unpacking that, like what's behind the procrastination or the inability to move forward. And I think there's usually some parental garbage as I talk about in Confident as Fuck. There's some parental garbage there probably. There might be downers in your life. Do you keep telling your awesome projects to your sister Mary who's a damn downer? Stop talking to Mary. She's never going to be supportive. She's always going to be like, I don't know. I mean, that kind of, are you sure? Like who would fuck these people? So you can't, you know, how long are you going to allow yourself to have someone else project a lack of confidence in you? So I think it's a, it's a multi-pronged situation. It's like either get a coach or an unbiased person or someone who's encouraging and supportive of you online group. I don't care what it is. Don't be talking to Mary. Stop talking to the downers. And then in the meantime, you, you know, you don't have to share the, your, your million dollar dreams with hundred dollar people, Steve Harvey said. I, I suggest you don't. Keep it to yourself until it's done because people are going to project a lack of confidence onto you no matter what it is. I think I want to write a book. Well, you, you're not a writer. Oh my God. I, I got downers so many times in yeah. my first book. You would not believe the the, the, the projecting of lack of confidence onto me at every step of the way. And I put it in my book too. And I actually, when I wrote it, then showed the person and I go, that's you mofo. What do you, how do you, what do you think of that? And they were like, Ooh, uh, that looks bad, but I didn't mean it that way. I go, but do you see, do you see how you were a downer and you tried to poke at my confidence? And they were like, I see that. I see that. So, um, you know, getting rid of downers, clean, cleaning that up, getting back to like, what is it that you're afraid of? Or is there some fear? Uh, I used to, you know, my dad too was kind of a, kind of, I'm just going to say it. He was cool as hell. Like all my friends loved him. My dad was awesome, but he was a loser. He was kind of a king of the losers. He was a drunk, nice guy, fun. Everyone loved to hang out with him, not angry or beat anybody, but he's a loser. I was really embarrassed of him for years. He eventually died based on that lifestyle, but I was so embarrassed of him for years. I even had a little bit of that, like, uh-oh, I'm pursuing acting. Like, what if I get somewhere? And then, oh my God, someone tries to interview paparazzi interviews my dad when he's walking out of a bar. These future projections of judgments onto you, and again, so this all goes back to self-worth and, and getting to a point where you don't give a shit about what other people think of you, you're going to do it anyway. And putting yourself out there in any capacity, book, uh, podcast, whatever it is, 
you're going to have people that don't like you, man. Like you're going to have people that write you messed up DMs and stuff like that. This is the world you decided to enter into where you have to constantly remind yourself, like I'm sure any celebrity or whatever, is like, well, I asked for this. I wanted to be an actor of a level that makes this much money. Therefore, now the paparazzi are following me. That's a trade-off. So it's, it, we have to trade some of these things off. I, I'm a very private person. Last thing I want to do is take selfies and put anything on social media. I didn't have social media before my first book in 2016. I was like, I don't want any of it. I, that was a whole new world for me to get comfortable with. But who is that? You have to put yourself out there. Um, if you're an artist at home and you've got great paintings, no one's coming to your door. To be like, hey, I heard there's a painter down the street. Like, you have to self-promote. You have to get out there. It's about confidence. So I know this is a really long-winded answer, but again, I think like all of those things are factors and there's something behind it. There's some self-sabotage there, fear of failure, success, that's probably likely to be unpacked. And then you know what? You move forward through it. I, th- I find too that whatever you're afraid of, whatever your self-sabotage is, right? Those limiting beliefs, the thoughts in your mind, you're, you're the Mary in your own head that's yeah. downing you. If you don't work on that, that's people will bring exactly what you... So as a writer, I know I'm like really creative. I know I can flow. I know the words come out very easily. But grammar, syntax, like the, the, kind, of, uh, form, the, the kind of structural things, that's just not my strength, right? That's yep. the editor's mm-hmm. strength. And some people, and for a long time, I let that get in my way. I didn't want to write things online because every time I would write something online, I would write, I'd write your, and I wouldn't put the apostrophe you are just, and I know the difference, but I missed it when I write it. And every time somebody would write, you know, in that comment or like, you know, you'd write an article and post it and somebody would say, Hey, there's a line. And I, I used to get really upset. Like I would get mad at them. Like you, this is what you saw in my article. But it was a reflection. Really, you chose that to pick out of all the things. Like, what kind of waste of your time? Come, <laughs> yeah. But it was, but it was my own. It only triggered me because it was my insecurity, right? And then when I got past that, when I decided, right, hey, I'm never going to write the perfect book. Somebody's going to find an error. We're going to do the best yes. we can, right? And you know what? Who cares if my social media posts have grammatical errors? Yeah. I'm also, not- it's like it's like, hey, to that person who read it, did you get what I was saying? Yeah. Or did, you did, just, did you get it? Then did it matter that it was fucking spelled wrong? This happens a lot when I'll say something or in the past, I'd be like, oh, I'm an actor or, you know, because that's part of what I do. But before where I'm more identified with that and people be like, don't you mean actress? I'd be like, did you get what I'm at? Like, yeah, I, yeah. What I, it's universal, the term. Like, so it's, it's weird. Those people are the nitpickies and you're going to get, you know, also too, though, depending on your energy, I don't get any, like, I rarely have negative stuff coming my way. And I think sure. that's because I just, I never have, I don't put it out there. I'm not seeking it. I am also, uh, the vibe that I emanate is don't fuck with me. Um, now I don't mean that in a mean way, right. You know what I mean? But you can even tell by talking to me for a little bit that like, mm, you might, you might be a little bit weary of coming at me strong because you don't know what you might get back. I don't give out the vibe that I'm like ready to be bullied. Do you know what I'm saying? And yes, and that's just a vibrational thing. I'm not talking about the way that I'm speaking. So vibrationally, because of that, it never ha- it rarely happens. It's like I think in the past five years, I've had three strangers try to mean girl bully me, and they were immediately very regretful. Um, but <laughs> they, I mean, they were like so regretful. This is it was actually awesome. Um, but so so at the end of the day, I think it's about what are, what, what's, because I have high self-esteem because I have, you know, this, this self-love because I'm, 
walking around the world being like, don't patronize me. Like, you know what I mean? You're going to let people patronize you, talk down to you. This is about speaking up in confidence. The more confidence you get, the true confidence, confident as fuck inside and out. I don't mean performance confidence like me. To be a stay-at-home mom, you're going to need that confidence because your child is going to have a problem with another child and that mother's going to suck and you're going to have to deal with that bee. What are you going to do? Crumble? You know, so, so you're going to need this in every area of your life. I mean, that's why I wrote a book on it because from the bedroom to the boardroom, you're just not going to get what you want unless you put yourself out there with confidence. And it's scary sometimes. And listen, even though I'm a public speaker and I can get on a stage right now in front of 50,000 people without even a planned topic, I have total improbability, feel comfortable. There's still moments backstage where I'm like, oh shit. Like, you know, before you go on, you're like, oh no, my God, like, uh, what am I doing? I do, what, how did I? And that's just self-talk. That's just me starting to go, hold on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You asked for this life. You wanted this. You're good at this. Go out there, kick your ass. Go, go. You're going to go get it. You know, so it's not like we're all, you're going to get to a point where you're immune to triggers or to little moments of self doubt or something triggered by something else someone said. Maybe you're about to go on stage and you overheard someone saying they're a boring speaker. Oh boy, that could throw you for a loop. What are you going to do there? Um, so it's all up to you in that moment. All you have is you. That's really the truth. Nothing, there's no thought. Alex, that you have had in your life that isn't about you. And your objection may be, oh, that's not true because um, I have a friend that was in the hospital and I brought them flowers and food. And yeah, because it made you feel good, right? (laughs) It's still about you, right? Even altruistic things are still kind of about you and how you feel. So if all you have is you, like you've got to parent yourself. You've got to encourage yourself. You're not going to get it from anywhere else. Nobody is going to give it to you. Even a parent who's instilling it in you, you could take a turn because kids at school bullied you and now you've got a different outlook or story about yourself. So I think it all comes back to confidence, self-worth, and um, th- there's just so much that comes from there. It's, it's, you have to do the work. You have to do the it's not fun. Oh, I hated it. I cried so much through coaching sessions. I'm a coach, but we all have coaches because we know how valuable that is. One coach for sort of one thing I might want to do in certain type of work. I have another coach where not regularly, but stuff comes up and you need a coach. And man, it's hard to be vulnerable and it's hard to look at your stuff. It's yucky. It's gross. Oh, I don't like it. I've, I've bawled my eyes out through these sessions, just realizing things about myself, but it is worth it. And it is important. And you're never going to get to that point and grow, uh, or be able to succeed in what you want. If you don't do that work. Where did, where did this start for you? When was the, you know, we don't pop out of the womb, like, you know, standing on stages and helping people change their lives. Where did your training, like where, where did this start for you where you started to develop yourself to a degree that you could also help develop other, like help other people grow and expand? Yep. The streets of downtown Chi-Town. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in a big city like that, dealing with every culture, every person, everyone in your face, gangbangers, threats, like fear, uh, dead guys. I mean, you know, like just all live growing up in downtown Chicago was a stressful environment. In fact, it took me years to get out of the fight or flight mode of walking so fast and doing everything so fast and being kind of on edge and washing my back all the time. And, you know, just this kind of like uh, energy. Um, but also too, the thing about that's great. And maybe you've heard this, but you know, especially people from downtown Chicago, at least in my experience, my friends and stuff, and I've been out in California for you know, so many years now, but um, we don't BS people. We kind of, so a lot of straight shooters, a lot of straight shooters. And I think that that really helped because when I came out to California, it was at the time when things were extremely PC many years ago and people were very taken aback by my directness. 
and uh, that sort of people would be like, are you from the East Coast? And, you know, things like that. And they were very taken aback by it. But what I noticed is that they admired it and they appreciated it. And so that the reason I wrote a book on confidence is, yes, while I was maybe raised that way where my parents told me I could do anything or whatever, I still had confidence pitfalls along the way, which I talk about in my book. Those pitfalls are this. When you're an alpha, whether you're a dude alpha or you're a chick alpha like me, we all have issues with a couple of things. One, we are totally inaccessible because we you you want to call us in an emergency and I'll talk to you all day about your life, but I'm not going to share shit about me. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to show any weakness. So then it's hard to connect, right? You don't really get to know me because I'm over here. So that's one problem. The other problem is, is that we're not very diplomatic. So people that are less confident who need to speak up, but they have diplomacy. They think before they speak, they have a little bit better way of expressing themselves. We're highly confident people who, you know, very opinionated stuff. We might be too quick on the send. I always say, be careful on the send, right? We've always rattled off an email, sent it, and then be like, ah, shit, I didn't need to do that. I could have waited to tomorrow. And then it's just yucky. So they're better on the send. We need, we need to learn to be careful on the send. And then um, uh, aside from vulnerability, uh, accessibility, and things like that. Um, so, so I think that um, Confident people, like we're, we're encouraging. There's, if you meet someone that you think is confident and you also think they're a jerk, they're not confident. That's, they're a jerk. <laughs> they're, just a, they're just an asshole because confident people are really, really kind. Um, so I started coaching people on this because people would come to me my whole life and be like, I need to know how to say this to that bully or what do I talk to my boss about getting a raise? And I just noticed everyone was coming to me for the pep talk to encourage them to speak up on something, to motivate on something. And I realized like, oh, I've got this thing. And so I really broke it down and destructed it and confident as fuck and told several stories in there about my life in downtown Chicago, one of which was being the only white girl on an inner city basketball team. And they were, uh, I got a lot of shit for that. And it was, uh, it was a tough experience. Um, uh, really one of the best I've ever had. And then also I was disabled at the age of 22. We talked about this briefly before I came on and I have a whole chapter in my book about it, but essentially, so people are watching me now, like I'm moving my hand. My hands are fine, but I actually have a permanent disability in my, both my hands and arms all the way up to my neck. Um, I take great care of myself. I do all the things I've had it for 20 years. So I will get flare ups. Like I'm not going to help you move, but I can go play a game of tennis or ping pong with you every once in a while or a game of basketball. I'm not going to be on the basketball team or the tennis league. You know, I have limitations and things like that. And that's been a very interesting experience in my life because my key to becoming confident as fuck, even though I was already confident in so many areas, I wasn't in terms of relationships, romantic and personal, because I was so fucking ashamed to admit that I had this thing because I thought I'd be rejected. I thought I'd be a liability. I was, it was seen as weak, like a defect. And I, and I thought I wouldn't want somebody who's got fucked up arms. I'm not going to be hypocritical. I had a tough time with this. When it happened, when I was 20, I remember thinking, who's going to want me. That is the first thought of shame, right? Unworthiness. Who's going to want this? You know? And so thank God now, like back then I could barely lift a fork to my mouth. Like there was a rough couple of years there, but then, you know, now I can do everything. I lift weights. I do, you know, I mean, I swim constantly. So, you know, but everything that I do too is in the pursuit of physical alignment. So, you know, it was a benefit 
in a lot of ways to my life. It was a, a great gift wrapped in shit, as I call it. But it was a it was a great benefit to my life because it made me be attentive to health and other modalities. You know, it's when I I learned 20 years ago about acupuncture and massage and all these kind of things. And um, but that was a really terrible journey. So actually, two books that I've written have reflected some horrible experience I've had. And this is another um, again something I argue. The best gifts in life come wrapped in shit. It may take a minute, but they do. They do. The two things that happened in my life I'd never take back that were the worst were getting permanently disabled at age 22. Nobody wants that. And I was making six figures, by the way, in the corporate world. I had over 100 employees under me. I was rocking. I was going to be retired by the time I was 35. Like I was rolling and I got totally smacked down with the disability canceled. And then the other thing too was years later, I came down with a horrible bout of hypothyroidism that took about six to seven years of my 30s. And Turned both of those things into inspiring stories, into helping others. My testimony, you know, my test became my testimony, you know, those kind of things that they say, but that's true. Um, now, if I didn't have the confidence to go out and talk about those things, nobody'd be helped at all. Nobody would have had their thyroid helped, right? Thousands of people around the world would not be better now because of it. And people wouldn't be inspired that way. And sometimes you don't think like, I would have never seen that disability story as a positive ever, man. Never. No. Oh God, what a curse. I would have never also seen that hypothyroidism thing as a positive. Like what? Six, seven years of my life? No, I want that back. But I wouldn't take either of them back or change them for the world because what it has brought me is astounding. Astounding. And it goes back to the original thing you said at first. It's like that quote they say, and I'm, I'm not a religious person, but that quote where they say, you know, uh, you make plans and God laughs. I had it all planned out. I'm going to go to law school. Oop, nope. No, I'm already making more than a lawyer at this corporate firm. Oh shit. We're, we're growing fast. It's the tech boom of the nineties. Oh, I'm going to stay here. Oh, I'm rolling in the dough. Okay. Now I'll be retired by the time I'm 35. Great. I get the Porsche, the house, golden handcuffs cut literally and figuratively off of me. I didn't have a fallback and I'm grateful for that. Although there has been moments over time where uh, throughout the years, I'll envy people who have 401ks and like their salary and their consistent everything. And, or they may have been able to get ahead quicker because I was limited with, you know, there's no benchmarks for 22 years ago, me being like, I have to use my voice. Oh shit. Okay. I got to go free this out. How am I going to do that? You don't show up to NBC and go, I lost my voice. You know, I lost my arms. Like, can I have a radio show? It's just, there's, there's no way to do that. So the story ended great. I, you know, obviously use my voice to write and speak and, you know, podcast, but but, you know, I could have never foreseen that. So I think that's also the biggest message too. But you have to go for it. If I just said there like, well, I'm never going to ever be able to do anything with voice. So I guess I'll just stick where I am and just ride this out. But I didn't, you know, you, you, I took a risk. And so those are the people that make it. I think that's a great time to, to like this year. I was working with a client yesterday and it was like, how can I plan next year? Because of how 2020 has gone like right and and I and I just shared like hey look this isn't the truth but I'm gonna tell you something that I strongly believe not the truth but I strongly believe is that life was always unguaranteed or unpromised or you know you can get hit by a car get a disease lose your child like lose your job government could take all your property like there's a million ways you just felt secure in the in the illusion of it and 2020 exposed the illusion people that have random you know, disabilities or get in accidents or get sick or lose someone very close to them have that exposed early on. And things like earthquakes, right? Earthquakes, tornadoes do that to us. Um, 
And what I hear you talking about, which is exactly what we were talking about, is like, no, you get to plan 2021 anyway. And you're going to do and be whoever it takes to create those things despite whatever shows up. So it might show up and, you know, you might be going straight line and you have to go up and then around and over and back down and up and around and over to get to where you thought was going to be a straight line. But I love that, like the people that do it are the people that create what they want. And this isn't about like money. We could say it's about happiness. It's about love. It's about family. It's about whatever. Do it because they, I want to say they climb, they dig, they scrap, they claw, they, they find a way to get to that thing that they wanted regardless of what showed up. What? Yeah, and it's so true about, and I know this is so cliche too, like follow what you love, the money will follow. Do it, mofos, do it. Because that's true. It will lead to something that leads to something you don't know. So I get disabled. I can't use my arms. I'm like, uh, I'm in Hollywood. I'm like, okay, I'll use my voice. I'll be an actress. I'm going out for actress roles, lead roles. I mean, we're talking like series regular roles and major stuff. And uh, then I get hypothyroidism and I get really fat. I mean, I'm not fine now, but the bout, horrible, get fat. Now I can't be a leading lady. I'm like, all right, uh, shit, well, I need to laugh. I'm depressed. I'm sick. I'm going to go do sketch comedy. I go do sketch comedy, turned me into a writer, had no plan of ever becoming a writer. I was always kind of good at it. People would have me like write their essays to like get into a, you know, a broad program in college. Like I remember that happening, but never. And people would be like, have you ever thought about being a writer? I'd be like, no, 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 thanks. Not interested. So went down that road, writing sketch comedy. And then I'm thinking, and then I said to one of my friends, Hey, have you ever written a screenplay or sitcom? Maybe we should blow this up or writing all these sketches like at Saturday night live, you know, they're like four SNL sketches are sometimes seven pages, but a proper sketch is like three to four minutes, like three to four pages. And I was like, why don't we blow this up? Blew that up. Out of nowhere, someone came to me, Hey, I need a writer for a documentary. Next thing you know, I'm going in this direction. I didn't say, no, I'm an act. I just, I was like going with what felt right. It all leads to something. I followed my passions. There is zero money in sketch comedy, people. In fact, if anything, I had to pay for my gas to get to the theater. I had to pay to go to the Salvation Army, buy props for all the characters, the wigs, the mustaches, all the shit. There is, that is a labor of love. There is no money in return for that. Sure, you get some street cred on your resume uh, so that maybe casting directors will hire you, but I did it for the love of it. To this day, my experience being at um, a comedy theater for many years here in LA is still one of my favorite things to think about. I still laugh about sketches my friends pitched that never even made it into a show. <laughs> Just shit, we were laughing and we're like, oh, that's funny, it's terrible, but we're putting a show, but I'm still laughing about stuff. The, the amount of joy that that experience brings me is invaluable to my life and it didn't pay a dime. But it did also give me performance experience, writing experience, and all these things that later became what they came, what they became. And by the way, people were trying to downer me the whole time. Like, really? Actor? writer, you're not a writer, you know, all this stuff. If you're in a creative profession, you're going to get more of that from people than any other profession. Just see how it rolls. Someone is like, what do you want to do? I want to be a lawyer. Oh, nobody questions that. They're like, oh, that's great. Oh, what kind of firm, what kind of law? You know, but if you're like, oh, I want to be an actor, they're like, uh, oh, I, have you done anything? People are so skeptical. They're, they're ready to downer it. I had someone say this to me and I put it in my book. Uh, uh, someone asked me randomly, a stranger, they're like, what do you do? And I said, I'm a writer. And they go, verbatim, this is what they said. They said, so are you like a real writer who makes money in it? Or like, do you, you know, like you're writing at Starbucks, but you're like waiting tables or something. 
And I said, well, that's fucking rude. Would you ask a real estate agent if they were living at home with their parents and they just had their license and weren't making money at it? Or, and he goes, oh my God, no, that's different. I go, no, it's not. No, it's not, bro. But here's the difference. And this is what I left him with. I go, the, the difference is that negative naysayers like you, you just launched me to like a greater success. That is my belief. I have that belief. It works. Anytime I get downered by someone, I'm like, ooh, ooh, I can't wait for a prize. This is going to be a great fucking prize coming around the corner now. It always happens. Um, now, in that moment, I someone said, well, why didn't you just like pull out your book? Or why didn't you just say, oh, I'm a best-selling author? I'm like, because see, in that moment, he was bullying me and patronizing me, whether he realized it or not. And I'm not going to give you the time of day. I'm not going to need to defend myself or justify. I kicked it right back to him. That's a choose your battle moment. I'm a confident person. I choose my battles wisely. In certain circumstances, I would say nothing, right? So, but in that situation, I was like, you're fucking rude. I'm just going to call you on it right now and leave you with that for the day. See you later, dude. Um, so I people are- start doing that now. You have, I just want to start meeting people when they tell me what their like traditional jobs are. Oh, are you, a, oh, you're a lawyer? Like, do you have clients? Do you like live at home? Do you actually practice it or do you just have your law degree and like your, hey, right? Like how rude is that? But see, so if you're in a creative profession or a podcaster or anything that's like out the realm of more benchmark corporate world, you're going to get this. You need to be prepared for it because you're going to have your prepared answers. I had someone say to me too, they're like, oh, you're a writer. That must be so tough and competitive. And I go, not for all the people who are successful on it. Right? Like, is it tough anything, for them? And anything, I mean, I always think like anything anyone wants to do is tough and competitive. There's a reason there's certain jobs anyone can get sure. because they're not the jobs that we want. Now, there might be the jobs that we need some of those jobs. I'm not trying to downplay those jobs, right. but the jobs that everybody wants, all of them, whether they be like the, the sports agents or the athletes or the actors or the writers or the comedians or even the like very successful, you know, hedge fund financial people, like all those jobs it's competitive. It doesn't matter if you're an actor or hedge in a hedge fund, it's competitive because why wouldn't the best things be competitive? Yeah. Or the most fun in terms of people's, sure. uh, how they look at them. And so, but again, it's how do you, it's, it's like this, it's like, Oh, you know, Hey Alex, um, I, I just had this idea that I'm going to start a new business. And you say to me, Ooh, well, I don't know. You want to be careful. Cause like 50% of new businesses fail. See, my response would be like, dude, uh, how about I'm going to be on the 50% of the people that succeed? Like, thanks for that downer. So what you can do with people and your friends is, why don't you let them fail? Encourage them. That's what they'll remember. Stop downering other people's stuff. That's part of it too, is getting rid of downers and start stop downering people. If you want to be successful in your life, the moment you hear someone be like, oh, I really want to do that. The moment you roll your eyes and you're thinking to yourself, good luck with that. Ooh, it's going to come back around. I'm telling you, uh, that's that. You, I'm down with OPC. You got to be down with other people's confidence. Um, that is a lower vibration. It's just going to come back to you. It's uh, sometimes it could be. So, for example, this is why jealous people always fail because jealousy is really me. Like, if I'm jealous of you, it's because I'm jealous of you thinking that like he shouldn't have had that. Like, I should have that thing right? And it always backfires with jealous people and they'll never stop being jealous. And um, so the best thing you can do out there as an entrepreneur or anything you're doing is encourage others to succeed and be on board with people. And when you're not, and you don't believe in your friend and you're like, this is their 10th business idea and they're just going to do some bullshit, unless it's short of like preventing somebody from jumping off a cliff, a cliff in a cape or something, you know, danger, let 
people do what they do. And when you have the negative downer moments inside, stop and go, do I really want them to fail? Because that's what you're asking when you're going, yeah, right. Good luck with that. You're saying like, can't wait for them to come back and they're going to fail. That's really what you're doing. You're hoping for someone else's failure. If there's anything I can impress upon people that we have to get rid of that. And we all do it. We've all rolled our eyes. We've all been like, watch, they'll be back. We've all said, watch, they'll see. And usually any of those moments, any of those thoughts are actually hoping someone fails. Um, I don't know if you want an example. I've got a good one though. We're, we're, yeah, I, what I, what I, it's like, we're really attached to being right. And some, and it's easy. And it's, and if we bet on the side, that's more likely, it's like, we get to be right. right. And we'd actually, from a, from a subconscious ego level, it's like, we'd rather be, I'd rather be right that you're going to fail then actually you succeed, which is, which doesn't, if, if when you step back, right, we go, that doesn't actually make any sense from the ego. It makes sense because yeah. it keeps us all separate. It doesn't make sense in the sense of like, well, then when you want all your friends to be fucking losers who never or, succeed, or, or everyone, right? Like I always think I, one of my favorite things to tell people and often people don't get it. I think you will like this a lot is every room I walk in, I want to be the least attractive, the least successful, the least good looking and the least possible, the one with the least possibility because that's a fucking great room. Like it's not just like, that's a room that I get to get leveled up and then I get to bloom. And then we get to let somebody else in that room that gets to start there. Um, but I think most people from fear want to actually be in a room where they're on the, the higher end. But I'm like, if you're on the higher end, like, what do you, yes, you learn it. it's great in that you get to pull, you can help other people, but you don't get to keep expanding because I mean, if, if there's a hierarchy, right, in this metaphor. Um, I'm curious for you, because you've had all this success, you've done all these things, you, you occur as somebody who's like, if I decide I want to do something, like, there's no fucking way anyone's going to stop you. So what's the big thing in your future that you want? And But here's the thing. What are you going to have to overcome with yourself so you can actually get that thing? Oh. That's a great question. And I, I got it right here. So <laughs> uh, no, because it was kind of a recent come to Jesus in the past few years of this. So one of the ways that I realized I was self-sabotaging as an individual is so like I, um, I love money. I have no problem making, like I have no issues with the idea of abundance or any of that kind of stuff, but I'm terrible and have avoided looking at it the management of it, not blowing money and being stupid kind of management, just not looking at it to the point where here's where it would sabotage me. Like I'd look at it, a, you know, a year later and I'd be like, Oh my God, that yoga place has been charging me for, for 10 months and they owe me 1900 bucks. Like this would, this would keep happening. And I'd be like, damn it. And I'd always be like, you got to get it together. You got to get, what are you doing? Like, cause here's the thing. I actually admire people that are attentive to it. And I believe that that's important. And so, but here I am avoiding denial, don't want to deal. And here's the thing that I really realized, and this again was after me going and getting coaching from an outside person to go, I know I have an issue here. I want to get good. I want to be interested in this. And I know, I, I know I'll benefit. And also I'm not feeling right about blowing it off either. It's not making me feel good. I'm, I'm struggling here. What it really came down to is the way that I was treating, looking at the money and even looking at it is, um, really irreverent. It's the opposite of how I feel about money. I feel money is valuable. I feel it has consequences. And here I am going, that treating it like it was totally inconsequential, that it was beneath me, that it was something to just like, I'm too good for this, or I don't have to talk. Treating it like it wasn't important, even though I feel it is on this other vibrational scale. So again, I just really had to 
look at the thoughts I was believing about myself. Part of it was like, I hate math. I don't want to do math. Like, I'm not going to math. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even involve that much math. It was just attention to, um, can't be bothered with, yet struggling on the outside being like, I want to bother with, I want this, I admire this in other people, yet I'm not doing it. You know, so in order for me to get to, so next, next thing in my life is getting to the point where I'm stoked on that. Like, you know what I mean? Where like, I'm just starting that process, starting to look, starting to pay regular attention and doing kind of the things to get into it. Um, but that is something for me that like future wise, just working on as a, as an individual. So I can be confident in all these areas here and blah, blah, blah. But then there's still this little area over here that's not so confident in, am I maybe confident on earning the money, but I'm not confident in how I look at it, or it would be easier probably come tax time if I just did things on the way versus sit down for 12 hours when, you know, before I have to go into H&R Block or whatever. So these are just, that's a personal thing. And that was, that's self-sabotage. I'm self-sabotaging myself in this situation by not attending to this. Um, and so I think we all have things to work on, but I think that's my biggest thing that like I need to work on right now in terms of personal growth, uh, mindset stuff. And, um, that's why I'm not like, I'm not a, um, I'm a great creative business coach, but that's why I'm not a business. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what to do with your money. Like that's because that's not my expertise. Right. Uh, so I look forward to that and, um, doing the work on it was hard because you have to come to terms with how you, it's so incongruent, the things that I feel about money in general and in the way that I'm actually treating, how often, you know, how often do we do that in whatever areas it are? Like you believe in health, but you're a secret drug addict or, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah, it's funny you tell that story. I'm, I forced myself in, I think it was December of last year, I was with my parents for the holidays. And I said to my mom, I need you to make me sit down. I'm 37 years old at the time. I need you to make me sit down and look at my finances. Because I knew I was making money. I knew I had enough money, right? It wasn't about, yeah. but I was relating to it like you were like, I, I want more. I think it's important. I work with other people on it. And I noticed I was just kind of like, you just charge things, you just pay the bills, you don't really pay attention. And I didn't want it to go the other way. Whereas like my mom's like balancing her checkbook every month, checking everything. Like that to me is just the other extreme, like right. fear of being so, but I was like, I want to be, I want to be responsible. I want to be a hundred percent responsible for my money and look at it. And I sat down at a table with her and she was working on whatever, you know, her own things. And I just was like, don't let me get up. And, and it's hilarious, right, to see, you know, I'm a 37-year-old man sitting at the table. I have all my credit cards, all like a, a yellow pad where I'm like kind of categorizing things. And I go, I don't, I don't this, is, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. There's enough money. And, I start, and she goes, sit down. You told me not to let you up. Sit down. Just do the next one. And I, and I did it. And the thing was, at the end of the day, you look at it and it wasn't a bad or a good. Right. It was just like, oh, this is the this is what's going on. It's but didn't like, it feel good for you to like go, oh, I I've 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 done an assessment. It felt it felt good. It also felt like um it it was weird. I had this sensation like, man, this is something I'm actually not very interested in. Which was 100%. which was also good to know because then one of the things that I did was I hired my accountant to do more things for me. So yes, it cost me more money, but I think in the end I actually save more money because I get more back on my taxes. Like I have somebody else going, Hey, what are these expenses? Yep. And instead of just putting it aside, like, I don't like that. I actually did the work to go, okay, I can do it. 
I'm capable of it. And I would rather spend my time doing something else, but I can't also ignore it. I need, if I'm not going to look at it, I need someone else to be on my team supporting that. Um, Absolutely. And so, so you get it. And so we're all growing and changing, even though, so like I may be able to help you here and there and there, but here's where I've got some stuff I'm working on. Um, as far as projects, I've got a, I've got a couple of courses I'm working on that I'm looking forward to. Like I want to do a course on confidence and self-esteem and also uh, going to be doing a paleothyroid solution course so people can, you know, less one-on-one, more just, you know, get a, get a book and a course and, um, and go from there. So working on a lot of stuff. And then, yeah, I think there'll always be more books and, you know, I'm going to be writing another sitcom here soon with someone. So I'm always, I've always got like creative projects going on. Um, yeah. I want to ask you one, uh, one other thing, which is, I'm just curious, like I, I'm looking at when, when you sent me some like notes on you, something that I missed that just popped out the, the primal, um, the primal blueprint, right? Like, so it just triggered in my mind, like I've bought, I've purchased like those dressings before, right? Like this Primal is the kitchen. same. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then when I was looking at, so Primal Blueprint, is this the same thing? Are you guys, is this an associate? They're the same company. So Mark Sisson uh, started the Primal Blueprint based on his bestselling book, The Primal Blueprint that came out in like 2006 or nine, I forget. He also had a very popular blog at the time, health blog called Mark's Daily Apple. He still has it. So he blew up as a figure in the health industry. And then he decided to have a publishing company. I started working for him around then about eight years ago. Uh, he ended up publishing my first book. Then he started Primal Kitchen. He started with Mayo because he was like, there's not a paleo mayo that's decent. Who needs to make it home all the time? Started with mayo. Then it kept expanding. And uh, two years ago, he sold it to, he sold it to Kraft Heinz for like, between three and $500 million. And, um, you know, he, we've, he, he was the initial host of the podcast based on his book called the primal blueprint podcast. And then a few years in, they got so busy making the mail. They were like, Hey, you want to host it? And I was like, great. So I've been hosting that show for many, many years now, every Monday where I interview people like you do health, mind, body, all that stuff. And then I do kick-ass live podcast, which I started earlier this year with coach Tara Garrison. And we're talking all mindset stuff, just us chatting about how to make your life more awesome. You know, one episode might be on subconscious mind, the other might be on vulnerability. And so just having a lot of fun doing that. So I, I, I kind of accidentally got into podcasting. Um, not to say though, that all of the training and all the stuff I did beforehand, right. Was really valuable, which is like, you never know when you're going to need to use that. And so, uh, being, a comfortable public speaker, whether it's in an interview format like this or on stage, is invaluable in life, uh, no matter who you are. And uh, I, I couldn't have done it without all of those nerve-wracking sketch comedy performances and improv, you know, nights and things like that. Because nothing's more frightening than not knowing what you're going to say when you go on stage. So if you threw me up on the Madison Square Garden right now, I'd be like, oh, this is not stressful at all <laughs> because it's just like, you know, I, uh, improv is probably the toughest and the most. Uh, anxiety-ridden kind of, of of those public sports there. That's such a cool story about Primal. I'm like, man, millions of dollars for Mayo? Come on. And then people, and you say like, what people, when you have an idea, people are like talking you out of it. And it's like, no, this person started with Mayo. Mayo. By the way, Mark used to be a personal trainer who only made about $40,000 a year. He really didn't start his life until he was about 46, 47. Not start his life, but really start to kick it with business and stuff. And this, he's yeah. a great example of it's never too late. Um, 
he's an, he's an amazing mentor, an amazing guy. Obviously he's still part of Primal Kitchen. He's the face of it, but technically Primal Kitchen owns the Primal Blueprint podcast, et cetera. And, uh, yeah. And actually I use for anyone that doesn't know about Primal Kitchen, you can use code kickasslife and get, uh, I believe it's 10 or 15% off. Um, if you go to primalkitchen.com, some of my favorites, like I regularly use their unflavored collagen powder. I regularly use their whey protein, their fish oil, and also all their, their you know, dressings and stuff. But the, uh, some of the highlights for me are, um, they've got just amazing ketchup and mustard. And we're talking sugar-free organic, like all the stuff that's crappy out there that you want to be healthy, sure. buffalo sauce. So yeah, they've got, gosh, I mean, I don't even know how many products we have now at this point, but we've got flavored mayos, pesto, mayo, vegan mayos, half the stuff's vegan too. So you don't need to be a, a meat eater, but it's all soy free, grain free, junk free. So yeah, that, so my, that's Mark Sisson's company and, and, and he just got too busy with it. So he gave me the podcast five years ago. So I got, you know, lucky on that one. It's, well, I think that's such a great, I want to kind of wrap up here and I, but I think that's a great point. I run, I actually, I co-host my mentor's podcast called The Coaching Show which has been around for almost 20 years, he's been hosting this. It was a radio show before it was a podcast. And it was the same kind of thing. I got an opportunity to co-host. He was like, do you want to come back and do this again? Now we're talking a year and a half later, I'm still coasting. Wait, trying to push him out the door. Like, hey, let me let me take over this. I'm going to have to get him to make some mayo or something so you can go make a bunch of money. <laughs> get him real busy on a project. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, it reminds me of, this whole conversation has been a reminder of there's opportunities everywhere. And if you're not saying yes to them, or at least taking a look, you're missing out. And the thing is, you don't know where that opportunity is going to go, right? So I, by me co-hosting with my mentor, over the last year, I created a course that then I partnered with him and another one of my mentors that we now have other coaches going through that it's not to say that I wouldn't have done that because who knows, right? That would have been a whole different direction of life. But because of the relationship that he and I formed in co-hosting, it created a bond and a relationship that I could create this idea, bring it to him, partner with him, develop it, that we could push back on each other and he could go, I don't like this part, change it. And I could go, no, I do and fight for it. That it was all because I said yes to co-hosting a podcast one day. Um, and I, and, and I want to leave people with this idea of like, consider what you're saying no to when you say you don't want to go out on that date or when you don't want to hang out with those friends or that project that you think, Oh, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe you shouldn't, right? We don't know. But you might look at instead of the default, no, or I can't, or I'm busy, or I don't know that doesn't go well. What might be possible if you actually stepped into it? I want to piggyback and highlight that. Cause I just did a post yesterday and I, part of this is an excerpt from my book, but, um, I have this alternative spin on a quote by a Finnish composer who said, no one ever built a statue to a critic. And my version is no one ever built a statue to a skeptic. Think about it. Like, have you ever seen a statue of a person with a card said something like the description was like, this guy believed in nothing and he, tra he challenged everything that anyone thought was possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, you haven't. No, you fucking haven't because we, that, those aren't our heroes. We erect monuments to people that believed in something no one thought was possible and proved it's, that it was. So, you know, no one ever built a statue to a skeptic. Let's think about that, you know, because so, so it's funny and I want to, this is almost right in line with, with what you were saying, because there's too many people that will just discount it right off the bat. Do you know what I mean? Or be like, oh, I don't know. That's kind of how many probabilities have you not allowed to brew and collapse into an actual possibility because you've been a skeptic? Mm -hmm. Probably a lot. Yeah. 
That's great. I'm going to find that post and I'm going to reshare it. It's on, where is it? Where, where did you post uh, it? Instagram. It was just yesterday. Yeah. Cool. Um, I want to let everybody know where to find you, which is L Russ, but it's, so it's spelled E L L E R U S S.com. And I know that if they go there, cause I was there, they can find your books. They can find your podcasts. Um, is there anywhere else people should go to find you? Is, is Instagram like the main kind of place for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm on all the social media platforms, but I am mostly on and focused with Instagram. So that's probably the best place to interact with me. I'm doing sort of more posts and stories there than I usually am elsewhere, but I I post all of my episodes on every platform. So yeah, underscore L Russ, or if you just typed in my name on Instagram, you'd find me. Listen, people DM me all the time, um, whether it's about personal coaching or a question, I get back to everybody. You can use the contact form on my website, lruss.com. I do want to let people know though, for for people that might've heard the the word thyroid during this conversation, I do have a free thyroid guide on my website that I developed. So you didn't have to buy my book and because everyone spends all this money trying to get better and it tells you every test you need to get. It tells you when to take it. It tells you resources for how you can find a doctor in your state or country. So that I've already done for everybody. So if you're out there and you heard me say thyroid and you think you might have an issue, you might want to start there. Just get the free thyroid guide on my website. Well, Elle, thank you for, like we started, you got a lot on your plate. You're up to a lot. Thanks for taking time to be here with me for sharing like so much wisdom and gems and power and probably dropping fuck more times on this podcast than I've ever had. I appreciate it. I love the word. I think it's, I think it's misunderstood and underused, but I think it's very expressive. So I love it. Um, but yeah, just thanks for coming on here and like sharing a big part of yourself and just, you really get a sense of who you are and how you showed up here. And to me, it's a very, it's like if I was listening to you, I'm like, man, this is the kind of lady I want to like be around. Like I like this vibe. I like this energy. So thanks for bringing it. And I think those are my, I, I, I want, I, I say, I want to say this in a specific way, but like, I think people that really own who they are, it's like, we really attract the people that want to. And then there are the people like, right. That don't connect with us, but that's great because they don't have to waste their time. And the people that want us like know that they are. And I, I really feel like you're one of these people who it's like your, your flag is in the sand. And it's like, come to my flag if you like what I got. So thanks thanks for modeling that because that's something that I value. I want to be more of. Um, so I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks for having me. This was really, really, really fun. Um, maybe we'd love to have you on uh, my podcast at some point, The Primal Blueprint. That would be really great to do. I can't, an exchange, I can't say no. Would be, you can? I can't say no. I oh, can yeah, tell you. you can't say no. That's right. You just talked to me. So I, you're I stuck. No. And, I've been a, and I might have a good story. I've been a vegan. I went from eating fried chicken and ribs and burgers all the time to being a cold turkey vegan for all of 2020. What, what's happening for 2021? You're still going to be a vegan? Uh, January 1st, I'm eating homemade uh, baby back ribs, yes. fried chicken. I assume I will get. That's my guy. Get in there. <laughs> I, I assume I, I mean, I'm going to eat fried chicken and baby back ribs all day long, just the whole day of it. And then I haven't decided. Some people are like, you're just waiting to, you know, that are following. And I'm like, no, I literally don't know. I feel really good as a vegan. It's worked really well for me. Um, but I also just went and got like blood tests and cortisol and I'm waiting. I want to see what's happening inside. Yep. Um, to see what like one year of a completely different lifestyle has done because everything else is pretty much the same. I've exercised all year, you know, like, I mean, there's more stress in the world, but like I've done a pretty good job for myself. So we're going to see. So January 1st, I'm going all in on the meat. Uh, I'll be standing by watching for these posts. Seeing what kind of. (laughs) Yeah. It might be me like with a head over a toilet. We'll see what's going on. Oh, thanks so much. And uh, 
everyone listening, please go to lrust.com, pick up her book, get her free her thyroid guide, check out her podcast, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.